Storehouse Dallas. Amen. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Feel so at home. We really are thankful uh, that you have opened up your house to us. The storehouse. Opened up the storehouse for us. And uh, our team is excited to serve you guys. Are you here to receive tonight? I'm excited and expectant to see what the Lord's going to do. I had one of those days. You ever just have one of those days? And uh, I... I actually, I actually enjoy the difficult days because sometimes the enemy just overplays his hand, you know, and he just sort of tips you off to know where you should go and what you should do because of the warfare you're experiencing, right? I mean, I wrote a book on deliverance and warfare, and I'll tell you some stories about that. I've been doing deliverance ministry for over 15 years now, casting out de- demons, Love to break the hell off people. And so, you know, I just figured, why not? Let's just speak on spiritual warfare tonight. And let's just see what the Lord does. And uh, check out the book. It goes toward uh, feeding children. And they live in my home. And there's... I have pictures if you want to see them. I brought my uh, Texas Bible with me. <laughs> I got I to gotta learn to travel with a smaller Bible. This thing's heavy. I was like, well, I'm going to Texas. I might as well bring the big one. I also got to experience uh, Texas traffic, Dallas traffic. You know, I, I'm, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, so I understand. But I've been living in Missouri for like the last 15 years. And so it's different. We ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. I mean, it was different on the drive over here. But uh, we are truly blessed to be here. I believe this is a, a divine moment. This is a sovereign moment. You're not here just because you had a good idea to come tonight. I believe the Lord orders our steps. The man plans his way, but the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And I feel like you've been brought here to receive. And one of the more difficult things I find is people being able or not being able to receive. Whenever we pray for people, a lot of times people are praying in tongues or they're just asking more Lord and just, you know, they're having a conversation with the Lord and the Lord's wanting to give you something. And a lot of times we're just so busy and it's exactly what uh, Tracy was saying about your soul and the dialogue and the self-talk cycle and the traffic and the distraction. And, and we're just so caught up in that dialogue that we're not actually receiving. So I'm going to set you free. Is that okay? I'm going to say something that's going to help you. Because some of us are analytical, we're thinkers, we're processors, and that is a good, awesome, amazing thing. But when it comes to receiving something supernaturally, there has to be a place of letting go of that mental process. And I know for some of you that may be difficult and that may sound really hard, but just with a very practical thing I wanna share with you, it'll help you. Have you ever received a massage? When you're receiving a massage, are you talking to the person giving you the massage? Give me a massage, give me a massage, give me a, shut up, I'm giving you a massage. Just receive it. 
you know, are you thinking about everything? No, when you're receiving a massage, you're just thinking about letting everything go, aren't you? Just like, I just want to receive this. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm just going to relax and receive. Tonight, when you come up for prayer, if we pray for one of you, and I want to hurry up because I want to get out of the way so this team of fiery students can pray for you guys. Um, But whenever you receive prayer tonight, just let go. Just let go and just receive. You're not receiving from man. You're receiving from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord. And just say, Lord, here I am. I let go of my fears. I let go of all my worries and my concerns and my stresses. And I'm here to receive from heaven a spiritual impartation that's going to jumpstart me. I'm a firm believer in impartation. I spent years in the Brownsville Revival. I did not miss one service of the Brownsville Revival from 1997 to 1999. I went to every service. And I got prayer every night. And I got slain in the Spirit 10 to 15 times a week for two years straight. I got a job at the church and I had a key to the building, so I would actually go into the church and I would lay under an open heaven for hours by myself. And then when I got up out of the service or went out of the church, I would go to this bookstore that we had and then I would watch the videos of the previous night's service. So I was just getting saturated constantly with this glory, with this anointing and this fire. And ultimately, that's what launched me into deliverance ministry. It's not that I love deliverance ministry. Trust me. It's just that whenever you get anointed, you get power. That's just the default. Stuff starts happening. Now, I like it as weird and as crazy and as strange as you can make it in a service. I don't care. I really don't. I really enjoy it. I like to know where my enemy's at. It's, it's when people aren't doing weird things that I get concerned. <laughs> I'm serious. So I just release freedom. I know it's already a free place. So I just pray for another level of freedom. And let's see what happens. Now, whenever I got saved, I had a radical salvation. I was a drug dealer. I was hooked on crystal methamphetamines. I was selling crack in the projects. I was uh, selling ecstasy, heroin cut ecstasy in the largest clubs of Atlanta, Georgia. By the age of 17 years old, I had VIP access. I was exchanging Colombian cocaine for uh, ecstasy in the largest clubs of Atlanta. 17 years old. I grew up in a southern Pentecostal home. Not just Pentecostal, Southern Pentecostal. I remember my dad, he played the organ in black churches. A white man playing an organ in a black church. Put, put that together. I remember, I remember seeing people fall down, the sawdust, the tent revivals. I mean, I grew up around supernatural phenomenon. My dad was the guy who would stand up in the middle of a service and start speaking in tongues. You ever been? I grew up AG, Church of God, Assembly of God. And every Sunday, there was always that guy that popped up and started speaking and thought, well, that was my dad. And so I would be like 10 years old, coloring on the pew or something. Then all of a sudden, my dad would pop up. I thought my dad was crazy. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But uh, when I became a, a teenager, I just spent my teenage years just racked and riddled with demonic activity and drugs. And I was so familiar with darkness. And I was always so sensitive as a kid. I, I was prophetic, I had a gift, but uh, the, it was being used for darkness. But when I got saved, I was on an LSD overdose, actually. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But I actually was in an LSD overdose, and I drove to my sister's house. 
and uh, she had been praying for me. Now, my sister has been an intercessor, a praying saint her whole life. I would come home and there would be oil dripping from the door, you know, <laughs> and I would find these prayer cloths shoved underneath my pillow and my mattress, you know, and I'm like, my sister's crazy. But she let me live with her and her family all throughout my drug and rebellious days. And she was praying for me to encounter Jesus. And so I was in this overdose. I went to my sister's house. I got in the shower and I remembered a worship song that my dad taught me because he used to teach me worship songs when I was a kid. And he, uh, I remembered the song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And as I lifted my hands, I started singing that. I had, oh, I had taken so much LSD, my heart was pounding. I'd been up for two weeks straight already. I knew I was in trouble. I'd done LSD over 100 times, and I'd had bad trips, and I knew this was not good. But I started worshiping the Lord, and the glory fell in the shower. And the, the presence of God was so heavy, I could not feel the water on my physical body. And uh, I started weeping uncontrollably, and I crawled on my hands and knees into that room where my sister had been praying for me day and night to encounter Jesus. And Jesus comes into the room. Demons, I can feel them shooting out of me. I get automatically just radically born again. Jesus says, I am faithful, and I will strengthen you and keep you from the evil one. He quoted 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. I didn't know that at the time, but when I read it later, I was like, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> My sister says it was like the Beauty and the Beast transformation. No, I was a different person. I mean, I was in darkness. And I was, my countenance, everything had changed. To this day, former or old drug addict friends of mine think I lost my mind that night and I haven't came back. They still think I've lost my mind on Facebook. They still think I'm crazy. But half of them are now born again because I've been praying for them. So <laughs> they're getting saved one by one through intercession. It's a true story. But I got in a church and it was a Baptocostal church. It had just enough of the Holy Spirit to keep the Pentecostals happy, but it was structured enough to keep the Baptists happy. You know, it was under wraps enough. And so I got frustrated because I experienced this radical salvation, but I went and got involved in a church that talked about the power of God. They would preach messages out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, 8, go preach the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, freely you've received, freely give. And I say, yes, amen. But after the service, everyone would stand and clap and they would leave with their demons and they would leave in their wheelchairs. And I saw a disconnect from what was being preached and what was being experienced. It was James chapter 1, verse 22. You have become hearers of the word rather than doers, deceiving your own selves. There is widespread deception in the body of Christ today because we think we have what we talk about. One man gets up and tells stories about supernatural stuff. Everyone claps and then they go to lunch, but no one actually experiences anything. That is the predominant thing. And that frustrated me because if anything, when you get to know me, I want authenticity. I want 100% authenticity. And I've always been sensitive, hypersensitive. There's like sensitive people to the Spirit, then there's Stephen Beauchamp sensitive to the Spirit. It's like I've, there's never been a time that I haven't physically felt the Holy Spirit when I pray, not one time, ever, ever. 
And it's a gift. I understand that there were times I thought I could put that expectation on others. And for years, I used to say, you've, you've got experiences. But no, I figured out it's a gift. I can't put that on other people. At the same time, I do believe everyone can feel and should experience the Holy Spirit in some measure. But um, when I went to Pensacola and I walked into this church, my spidey senses went off in a way like I'd never felt before. The atmosphere was so clean and so pure. It was the manifestation of the fear of the Lord was in that church. And I saw some people manifesting and they were jerking and shaking. They looked like chickens walking around, you know, like this. And I thought, you poor thing, you're here to get delivered or healed. You have a disease or you have a demon. And I go into the sanctuary and a man named Lyndall Cooley comes out and he starts leading worship. And it was so heavenly. I felt like I was being raptured. I had to look around and make sure I was still on the earth. I mean, it was holy. It was so pure. And this was the first time I ever saw raw power on a man before. It's when Steve Hill called up a youth group and he called them up on stage and uh, he said, everyone stretch out your hands. We're going to pray for this youth group. And so we all stretched out our hands and he started praying for them. And he said, now, now, fire, fire. And he was just lightly touching them, but they were hitting the platform and shaking like pieces of bacon in a frying pan. And waves of the fire of God were in the room. He said, lift your hands if you want the fire of God. The fire of God's in the room. And you know, I've, I've been around gangs. I have guns to my head, but I was scared. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I want that. I mean, it was intense. It was just waves of power. And these kids, it wasn't courtesy drops, you know, like, oh, you know, and they laid the little blankie down over them. And no, it was violent. And they, there was a surge of power. And I said, this is that. This is what I know is available. This, this is what I know we can experience. And so I uh, went to Brownsville, spent uh, my years, a couple of years there in Bible college, and then went on a missions trip to Paris, France. Now, I was a come out devil or I'm coming in after you kind of guy. I wanted to go to the darkest place of the earth. I wanted to go where the deepest, darkest witchcraft and warlocks were and to confront it. I think seriously, that was my mindset back then. So I went to Paris, which is probably one of the darkest places on the earth. I mean, when you think of the voodoo capital of the world, what do you think of? Haiti, French speaking, French citizenship. When you think of the most, uh, the highest black magic in America, where do you think of? New Orleans, the French Quarter. There's more witches, registered witches in Paris, France than there are clergy. North African witch doctors go to Paris to get trained in witchcraft. So I went there. Let's go there. And so you're carrying this anointing from revival, and then you just get thrown in the deep end of the pool. I had witches coming to my meetings. They were shaking chicken bones while I'm preaching. And I'm like, yes, this is what I signed up for. This is awesome. I'm like, yes, this is it. In that meeting, I kid you not, a portal opened up in the room, and, and people just fell out in the spirit. The witches got slain in the spirit. People were levitating. People turned green. I'm telling you, it was awesome. It was just, I was, it was like there was this, uh, the intercessors grabbed this white sheet and were waving it up and down. And everyone who walked under the white sheet is like a hoopah, you know, in a Hebrew wedding. And they were just getting, we were stacking bodies over in the corner. I mean, it was, it was just one of those meetings, man, you know, and there was this, I can say this because I'm in Texas. This will be funny. All right. I love to pray in Spanish. 
Fuego, mas fuego, senor. You know, you can kick people, you can punch people, fuego, and just go for it. But I'm in France, and I see this guy, and he's a, a big man, and he's showing aggression, and uh, he's an a African guy, and uh, I walk over to him, and his eyes are completely black, just marbles in his head, and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to get crazy. And I walk over to him. I know when I touch him, something's going to happen. And I have to go over there to him and I have to say, Feu, le feu de Dieu. <laughs> you can't get into that. You can't cast out a demon in French. It's just, it's, it's just not manly enough or something. It's beautiful. I love the language, but when it comes to casting out demons, French has got to go. Feu. So the guy grabs me, and we go to the ground, and we're rolling on the ground. And I'm screaming, fuh, fuh, fuh. <laughs> And the intercessors, they're commanding it to go, and that's what's making it manifest. And then I'm whispering in his ear, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. And then he would go limp, and then all of a sudden the intercessors would command it to go again, and he would start squeezing me again. And finally, I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. And he starts throwing up, vomiting blood all over. And uh, what had happened is he was a warlock, a practicing warlock, and he had done blood libations and drank a bunch of chicken blood before the service. And so he got completely delivered. There was a young lady turned green. We commanded the spirit of fear and rejection to break off of her. Her color comes back. She became the worship leader of that church a few months later. No kidding. Come on, Jesus. No, but I go and I kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool in terms of deliverance. So I got trained in deliverance the hard way or the good way, but I made a lot of mistakes ton of mistakes and that's what birthed the book because I believe we can do things in a way that honors people that ups, upholds their dignity and that we can do it in a way that is just uh, so much healthier emotionally and psychologically for people and after doing and leading the deliverance ministry at IHOP for over 10 years we have had no violent dramatic manifestations at all of the demonic because we figured a right way. It's all about agreement. It's all about getting information. I no longer spend hours of power struggles with people who are demonized. If you just have a few basic principles and understand what's going on, then you can do deliverance ministry. It's really simple, although the enemy wants to make it difficult. I think we've made a mistake, and we have made spiritual warfare too complex. And people who may not operate in higher levels of the discerning of spirits have difficulty understanding that realm. But we've made it so high and lofty and unattainable for people with other giftings, and it's really not that necessary to know all that stuff going on. And uh, I'm going to go after some sacred cows tonight just for a minute. Is that okay? Some charismatic sacred cows, too, coming from me. I mean, really. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Good. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. 
Lord, we just pray tonight that your word would go deep into our hearts, that our soul would receive your word, that it would bring edification. Lord, let it not just be another good teaching. Lord, let there be a shift in the way we live our life, in reality and in truth. Lord, let the word of the spirit of truth come into our being and transform us into your image from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, encounter us through your word. Before my father passed away, he said, if you can understand the parable of the sower and the seed, you can discern all mysteries. So I studied it, and we all know what it's about and talk about it, but let's look at it again. But in verse 13, after Jesus tells the parable, the disciples come back to him, and Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? This was the foundational parable that Jesus taught them. It was the first parable that Jesus taught his disciples. And it's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about Satan. The very first thing he wants them to know and understand is that Satan has plans to try to trip you up and steal the seed after you hear the word. And Jesus wanted them to understand when you sit under the teaching, you need to understand this is words going into your soul and your soul is like a garden. And that seed is being sown and you have to guard that seed and then you have to take that seed and water it through meditation and application. It's not just enough to get it intellectually. Christianity should be an experiential Christianity, not just an intellectual Christianity. I love intellectualism. I love studying the Word and sound doctrine and getting clear theologically. I teach at the school, the university. I love the Word of God. But spiritual things have to be spiritually discerned. Those things have to be prayed into and cultivated. And Jesus said, once the Word is sown, Satan immediately comes to try to steal the seed. Now, like I shared with you earlier, I think the primary way Satan steals the seed is to make you think you have something that you just heard. And then you go back to your life, and then you go back to your routine, and you never actually make a change in your lifestyle or your environment to bear fruit. And so the seed gets sown and you hear it, but then you go back to life and you never cultivate it. You never meditate on it. You never study it. And that's why God is raising up the ancient paths of prayer houses, places people can go and actually begin to cultivate the seed and actually get a living reality. Because I don't want to just be able to regurgitate information. I want to be walking in the reality of those things. When Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus didn't say a word. He just looked at him. Can you imagine in that moment? He said, what is truth? And Jesus looks at him. Didn't have to say a, a word because the spirit of truth was so emulating from him. He was truth. That's what I want. I want to be truth. I don't want to just talk about truths. Truth is not just information. It's a spirit. Truth is a spirit. We have to know the spirit because we are spiritual people first. We have to be in proper alignment. And this is what Jesus is teaching them. The first place of warfare is that Satan's going to try to steal it, make you think you have it because you heard it. Then if you begin to apply it, then persecutions and afflictions are going to come. 
They're going to come in by way of family members. They're going to come in by way of the systems of this earth and this world. To the extent that you walk in a spirit of truth, you will see the systems of this world reject you. And you experience suffering because they're set in place to resist and oppress the children of God. That's a form of suffering when you experience some type of resistance in a fallen world that's been taken over by demonic powers and principalities. And so you will experience persecution and affliction, and a lot of times that discourages us from continuing to walk in that, in that way because we don't know who we are, and we're still seeking affirmation by the things of this world more so than we are the Spirit. We're not walking in the truth of our identity, but we're still groping, trying to fit into all these systems of rejections, what I call them, whether it's our government, our economic system, our educational system, our entertainment industry. They are systems of rejection and oppression of the people of God because it's all about pride. It's all about arrogance and a false sense of beauty and a false sense of success. And we try to fit into those systems, but we're from another realm and another kingdom. It's upside, inside out, and we're humble and we want to go low so the oppressive system resists us and rejects us doesn't it and it hurts we have to be solidified in who we are and confident in who we are so that those things do not shake us and then if we can avoid or we can overcome the persecutions and afflictions then it says the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches will come that's when you get thrown in jail and you get to an apostolic level and you might just die. That's what the disciples you said. In the same way they treat me, they're going to treat you. They started walking in such truth. The devil says, the prince, the power, the ruler, the power of the air says, we have to kill these men. We have to crucify them. We have to get them off the earth as quick as possible. They're walking in too much power and too much truth. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You may say, well, wait a minute, Stephen. We have power over the enemy. Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And, you know, we will pick up deadly serpents and scorpions and tread over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm us. Yes and amen. As you go, there will be warfare. There will be resistance. But we have painted this caricature of Satan that is not biblically accurate. And we have painted a way of warfare, a system of warfare that is not accurate. We have taken so many scriptures out of their context, and this is one of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Another one is in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And We think that it's about taking that fight to the second heavens, and that's not at all what the Bible ever says. It never says a thing about it. Now I'm messing with your sacred cows. I feel it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. That's a key verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul's talking about his lifestyle. He's talking about his apostleship. The entire chapter of chapter 10 and 11 combined is about Paul's defense of his apostleship. It, he had a messenger of Satan. I don't have time to go there. I, I don't have time to do a lot of teaching that I would like to do right now. 
But his apostleship was under attack. Everywhere Paul went, there was a messenger of Satan. Some think that the messenger of Satan was some type of infirmity. It could have been a sickness. It could have been an ailment. Uh, but I believe it was a messenger combined possibly with an illness that caused people to question him. They ca it caused people, it stirred up strife to believe that he was authentic. You ever had that problem? You ever had things rise up against you and people reject you and question whether or not you're authentic? Paul had to deal with that everywhere he went. They were questioning his apostleship, and that's where we get to the warfare passage. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, Paul is shifting into a language of warfare, a language of battle. He's using concepts that they would be familiar with at that time. He's not talking about seven second heaven fortresses. Okay? He's talking about fortresses of the mind. Now, we have taken this verse out of context and said that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds over this city and over that city. And that's not at all what this verse is talking about. Verse 4 again, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying what? Speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How many of you have ever taken this verse and said, I'm taking my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? You can use it that way, I guess, but that's not what he's saying. If you want a verse that is more accurate, I think it's Colossians chapter 1, says that we set our mind on things above. Use that verse if you want. But he's not saying for you to take your own thoughts captive. This is what he's saying. As apostles, we go into the cities and we get uh, people rising up against us, questioning who we are in God because they don't know God. So we proclaim a true knowledge of God that confronts the false uh, thinking in the minds of the people. And we take their thoughts captive and we preach the truth of who God is, which confronts the speculations in their minds that are raised up against the true knowledge of God. You see it now? And so you have, you have this apostolic assignment that they would go into and proclaim the truth of the knowledge of God, and it would confront false th uh, thoughts and uh, patterns of thinking about God. And they would take other people's thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And then he says this, verse 6, And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. It's aggressive. That's why he's using the warfare language. There were people accusing him of not being a true apostle. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to find out what spirit they are of. And I'm going to prove to them by the declaration and the signs of an apostle with power. We'll find out what spirit they are of. Jump down to verse 10. He says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, 
Such persons we are indeed when present. And he was going to show up and show them, it's not just about what I write about. Watch this. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Remember second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I did not come with, to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men. How different is that compared to what we see today in the church? where people are trying to be as articulate as possible and the oratory and the exegesis of the word is so eloquent and everyone just applauds what a good speaker they were. Paul says, no, I'm going, I'm going to take the low road. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to make myself look like a fool. I'm going to act like I don't know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And don't believe it because I say so. Watch this. And he lets the Holy Spirit come and bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get out of the way and let the power come and testify of who he really is. Not just based on what we say, but how we live and how he manifests that backs up the way we live. We need a shift. We need a, we need a revolution. The way we do warfare, the way we approach these things, even Ephesians chapter 6 where it says we war not against flesh and blood. The reason Paul wrote that was because he knew you would have a tendency to think it was flesh and blood. Because principalities choose a man or a woman who bows their knee, whether a witch or a warlock or a president or a CEO or a senator or a congressman, whatever it is, they bow their knee to the agenda which comes from the throne of Satan. You know Satan has a throne? And he delegates authority and agenda to subservient spirits and regions and territorial things who then find a man or a woman to operate through. Look, if you want to deal with the powers over the regions of Dallas, find the most influential people and lead them to Jesus. That's how you're going to do it. You're not going to do it by shouting at the heavens. Look, I know. I, look, I'm speaking from experience. I have gone to nations and shouted at more demons than I needed to, okay? That used to be my paradigm. But if you'll go and you'll convert the most influential person, that's going to affect that region. If you'll set up a place where there's night and day worship and prayer and exalting Jesus, that's going to display the manifold wisdom of God quicker than just grabbing a mic or shouting at something or blowing a shofar or waving a banner in the face of a second heaven principality. They don't care what you do. You can do all that stuff. If you're not walking in a spirit of truth and revelation of the mystery of Israel and the church in Ephesians chapter 3, the one new man reality, then they don't care. You can have as many mega churches as you want. You can blow as many shofars as you want. You're still operating in the systems I'm operating through. There's coming a time when those who worship God God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. There's going to be a divine convergence, a divine shift where the spirit of revelation is released. People begin to walk in the truth of who they are, and they resist these systems, and we no longer identify with those systems. And there's going to be a company of intercessors, voluntary intercessors, who know their God. They operate in a prophetic anointing, and they understand intercession. And look, I'll give you this, just as you pray for Dallas and this region, all you have to do is ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, push back darkness. There's no need for you to go and poke a second heaven demon in the eye. 
Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, push back darkness. Father, in the name of Jesus, send revival to this city. You'll never hear from the house of prayer anybody get up there and say, I take authority over the Jezebel spirit of Kansas City in the name of Jesus. You just won't hear it because we've understood that you're just going to bring unnecessary warfare on yourself. And God never really told you to do that anyway. You may say, well, what if the enemy comes against you? Now, that's a different story. What if he invades your home? What if he brings sickness on you? What if he comes against your family? Well, if he brings the fight to you, you have all authority to say, get behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus, get off my family. Get out of my life. And break the power of darkness and witchcraft. I have to do it all the time. Weekly. We should not think it's strange when we experience times of warfare and attack. Jesus said you would experience times of warfare and attack. Jesus experienced times of warfare and attack. And I'll end with this story. Jesus comes up out of the water. And he hears the audible voice of God. John the Baptist saw it. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Have you ever gotten a prophetic word that said you are God's favorite daughter and son and he loves you? Well, you better get ready. You needed that word. Because God's more concerned about your maturity than he is your comfort. He's more concerned about uh, your character than he is your, your happiness. I hate to tell you that. But he's just answering your prayer. I want to be like more like Jesus. <laughs> really? I want to be more like Jesus. The cross. Yeah. Pick up your cross daily. So Jesus needed that word. In his humanity, who knows? Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. He grew in wisdom and stature. In his humanity, who knows how much he wrestled with who he was. Satan must have picked up on it because Satan targeted his identity, didn't he? And so most people think Jesus just floated through the wilderness. Get thee behind me, Satan, you know, like he was glowing or something. You know, Jesus didn't have a Misty Edwards CD in the wilderness, you know. <laughs> Get the warm, tingly feelings of baptize my heart with your fire, you know. <laughs> Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was a man. And all the forces of hell came against him. So much so that under the power of, her, of satanic power was picked up physically and relocated. You ever thought of that? Satan picked him up. And carried him to another place. Have you ever been in the presence of a principality, a, pen, a dark prince? Needles, pins, nausea, migraines, vomiting, backaches, intimidation. In those moments when I've been in those places, it, it wasn't like I felt the warm, tingly feelings of Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not someone who believes that you go through seasons that you can't feel the Holy Spirit. That's not biblical. You may go through a wilderness, a trial, a time of testing, but you always, as under the new covenant, have access to the Holy Spirit's comfort. If you're not feeling the Holy Spirit, you're not going through a season, you need deliverance. So Jesus, as you know, passed the test. He was led into the wilderness. It actually says he was ekbalod. He was thrown in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. That's what the word means. He was cast there by the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus passed his test concerning his identity, 
and he knew who God was, his father. He comes out of the wilderness in the spirit and power. There was a shift. He was endued with power. You're asking for power. Well, you're going to go through tests. You're going to get a prophetic word. God loves you. You're his favorite. He's with you. He's for you. Then you're going to go through the trial and the testing of that word. And if you pass it, then you'll get the endowment of the anointing, a greater level. Jesus walks into Nazareth. He walks into a synagogue. And he says, hand me the book of Isaiah. He turns to chapter 61. He says, today... The scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Demons start to manifest. We know who you are. Shut up and come out. I know who I am too. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim freedom to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind. And then he goes on to talk about the salvation coming to the Gentiles because Naaman the leper and the widow of Zarephath were both Gentiles, which made the Antichrist spirits manifest and they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. And I love this because they took him to the cliff. They tried to throw him off. And what does it say? It says he turned and he walked through them. What happened? They froze. Maria Woodworth Etter. Have you ever heard of Mama Etter? She was preaching. This woman was amazing. I just, you got to read her stuff. Maria Woodworth Etter. She was preaching one time and hecklers came to shut her down at her meeting. She commanded them to be silent and they all froze. Jesus levitated. He could have lifted up and just walked over him. Jesus walked on water. That's levitation. I've been to the high places of Chiang Mai, Thailand. I've seen Buddhist monks levitating. It's the real thing. And it made me mad because that's counterfeit. We got the real thing if we can overcome our fears. So the battle, the forefront in spiritual warfare is the knowledge of God and your identity. That's going to be the target of demonic assignments against your life. What do you believe about God? If you don't believe what God says about himself, you're not going to believe what he says about you, and you're not going to be able to love others. It's his way of keeping you from loving the two greatest, or performing, or completing the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Satan targets the knowledge of God, gets... Eve to question God's goodness, right? God's withholding something from you. You ever felt like God's withholding something from you? Why are they married and I'm not married? Why do they have money and I don't have money? Why are they prophesying and I'm not prophesying? Why do they have this gift and I don't have that gift? Why do they look so pretty and I don't look so pretty? Why, why, why? Have I touched everybody yet? God is withholding something from you. That's what the enemy lies to you about. So you get offended at God. Therefore, you won't believe what he says about you and your identity. Therefore, you won't love yourself. And then you can't love others because you'll just be in bitterness. Amen. Will you stand with me? The battle's in the mind. The battle is in your thought life. God has been so good to us. He's been so faithful. But the accuser of the brethren is always right there to whisper in our ears that he's withholding something, that he's not good. 
and that you are beautiful, that He chose you through the spirit of adoption. He knew all the mistakes you were ever going to make. He knew all your failures. He knew what color eyes you were going to have. He knew how much you were going to weigh. He knew the color of your hair, if you have hair. He knew every mistake and failure, every crooked toe, every fingernail, everything about you, every flaw and all the beauty. And he said, I want that one and chose you. He chose you. But the enemy's constantly bombarding us with these thoughts that he, he isn't for us or that he doesn't love us. And that's your battlefront. If you can overcome the lies, believe the truth, and step out from fear. Look, right now is when the enemy wants to come and says, you're okay, you don't need deliverance. You're okay, you're, you don't need to go forward. What will other people think about you? And most people right now are thinking about what other people may think about them. And nobody really cares because they're thinking the same thing you're thinking. And the fear of man keeps people from being able to receive I was doing door-to-door -door evangelism back in the days of Pensacola, Florida, and I heard this girl screaming at me. And the sun was setting, and I got closer to her. She was wearing a black cape. And I got closer to her, and she just was screaming and said, don't touch me, don't touch me. And I said, what's wrong, what's wrong, calm down. She's like, don't touch me, I'm a witch. I said, okay, what's the matter? She said, I was cursing you but my curses weren't sticking to your aura. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit. Young lady, would you like to receive Jesus and have the Spirit? She got born again, baptized in the Spirit, right there, all the demons cast out of her in a moment. And later I said, what were you cursing me with? She said, fear. Because that's what we do when we see auras like yours. That made me mad. And it was like, the enemy is cursing us with fear. Fear will cancel your faith. The fear of man, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the supernatural. There's all types of fear that we need to overcome. If you're ever going to walk in supernatural power, you have to be fearless. You have to be fearless. And we need to deal with it violently. Whatever thoughts, whatever strongholds, Paul said, I tear down every high and lofty speculation raised up against the knowledge of God. I take your thoughts captive to the truth of how God loves you and how he feels about you. Satan is a liar. We cast him down. We take them captive right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for every thought to be taken captive right now into the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. The true knowledge of God. That every high and lofty accusation against God's goodness and against His ways, right now, we take authority over it. We operate our will as sons and daughters of God and we say we resist the lies right now. We renounce the lies in Jesus' name. Come Holy Spirit. right now Lord we ask for breakthrough in every life and every heart in this room right now in the spirit of truth release the angels of presence right now God release the angels of mercy the deliverance anointing 
ask you to respond because when I, I believe when we respond, when we step out, it's a declaration of the enemy that we are not going to live in fear. We're not going to live in the fear of man. We're not going to bow our knee to those accusations any longer. And we're going to be open and let the Holy Spirit go as deep as he wants to go in this place. Amen. So right now, ask the Holy Spirit, search us, Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that you need to repent of, whatever it is you need to renounce, break the legal right for the enemy to be in your life right now. Break that legal right through repentance and through renouncing. Break it right now. Lord, we repent of the sin of unbelief right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we repent, we turn from believing lies. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit's highlighting in your heart right now, just process it with the Lord. Lord, forgive us for not believing what you say about us how you feel about us, your emotions. right now over every unclean spirit, every work of darkness and witchcraft, sorcery, black magic, voodoo, incantations right now in the name of Jesus. We just declare this holy ground right now in Jesus' name. I'm not going to do your warfare for you right now. Just begin to engage right now. We renounce every lie. Lord, we command every unclean spirit to get off our lives right now in Jesus' name. To get out of our family right now in Jesus' name. To get out right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, pray. Right now in the name of Jesus. Every lying spirit, every accusation. In Jesus' name. Lord, wash us right now. Wash us. Wash us, Jesus. Every addiction, every addiction right now to pornography in the name of Jesus. 
Every unclean image that you've ever seen right now, I declare the blood of Jesus over your mind and over your heart. Shut the door right now to every image, to every open door in your life, to perversion, to lust, to heaviness and depression right now. In Jesus' name, we command a breakthrough, a breakthrough in your life. Break in. Freedom right now. Freedom. Freedom right now. Lift right now. Heaviness, depression, oppression go. Sadness, loneliness, rejection, the fear of man right now in Jesus' name. Go. Cleanse us, Jesus. The blood, the blood. You've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness by His divine power. off you right now in Jesus name 
in the name of Jesus right now, if you've been spiritually abused by a leader or a ministry right now, in the name of Jesus, we claim authority. We break the power of control and manipulation spiritual abuse right now to free you up to run with God to be and to do what he's called you to be in the family of God right now receive it break in been inspired by this message we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give